Hidden beyond the human eye exists the unseen, a realm of spiritual forces squaring off in the supernatural, forces of cosmic power and proportion. And while the world spins, suspecting nothing, the enemy is on the move. His schemes finding footing in the familiar, his traps set in everyday episodes. So be prepared and ready to leave it all on the line. This is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all the forces of evil and darkness. And they won't go down without a fight. Welcome everybody to the weekend before we jump into the second message in our series, The Rise of the Evil Empire, where we're looking at the whole dynamic of spiritual warfare. I want to share with you about a special opportunity that's coming up next weekend. A good friend of mine, Bishop Richard Howell from Shallow Temple, is going to be with us and share in God's Word. And you don't want to miss it online at your campuses because he's going to bring a dynamic word to us. And you're going to hear more about how he and I and how our churches are going to work together to really set an example of what it means to love one another without respect to one's color or one's ethnic background. We're going to learn that we are one in Christ, and that's going to be a lot of fun. More on that to come. Also, last weekend, I asked you to pray for me and uh, for others as well during this series, our leaders, that God would give us protection. I appreciate you doing that, but I got to tell you, after Sunday, I have had one of the worst headaches that I can remember, and it has lasted uh, all the way up to this experience that I'm sharing with you right now. And so I've also had kind of an attack on my, larynx, on my voice box, and I've had these coughing fits, so I took a lot of cough medicine. I got my tea and my water, so please excuse all the stuff here. But just a reminder to you that I don't believe that's by accident. I believe there is some spiritual warfare going on because I felt fine until after preaching on Sunday. So please uh, continue to keep me and others in your prayers because the enemy does not want to be exposed. When he's exposed, he's vulnerable, and so he likes to stay in the dark. Now, let's get started with our, our new message, and let's continue to explore this whole issue of spiritual warfare. I want to tell you a story about a place in Montana called Man Gulch. There was a fire that blew up there in 1949. It started as a small brush fire, and the wind just whipped it up into this terrible, massive firestorm. As you can see from this old picture in 1949, you can see the smoke that just covering these beautiful mountains. Well, a group of 16 smoke jumpers, they call them, or firemen, were dropped in to try to contain that fire. However, the fire got control of them, and as a result, they began to run from it. The leader of the 16 told the men to stop. He said, we're never going to outrun this fire. It'll kill us. Let's try something new. It was a new standard they were using in dealing with fires. It was called a safety fire. He said, let's start a safety fire that will go towards the flames that are coming toward us. The idea is when the two meet, the flames that are coming toward us, in a sense, will be extinguished. They'll go around us because all the fuel is now taken by the safety fire. Guys, get behind me. Join me. And the 12 looked at him, 12 of the 16 looked at him and thought he was, thought he was crazy. They said, we're not staying here. We're going to run for it. And the sad story is that 12, the 12 who ran died. Only the leader and the three men who stayed behind in the safety zone were safe. The reason I tell you that story is it reminds me a lot of spiritual warfare. There's an attack against us, a, I guess you could say, an, an evil firestorm that wants to consume us. And it can't be outrun. You cannot outrun evil. 
it will consume you. What we need to find is our place of safety. What we need to find is that, is that zone where we are protected from evil's intent. And that's what we're going to be exploring these next couple of weekends. How do you do that? So let's jump in. Let's look at the passage that this whole series is going to be built around. And that's Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writes, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, in other words, because of this, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. There's an early church father who said that if you could see all the demons, if they were to become visible, they would crowd out the sun. Now, I don't know how true that is. I don't know how many there are. We don't know. But there's plenty to form a hierarchy, a power grid, to carry out evil and to oppose God and to oppose God's children as well. So how do we, how do we take our stand against this kind of evil? How do, we, how do we withstand this kind of evil that is so set against us. Well, I've got a little principle for you that I want to explore together. And it's simply this. If you're a true follower of Christ, listen, you're going to be attacked by the devil. Let's just accept that, okay? But, very important, that doesn't mean you're going to be defeated, right? You're going to be attacked, but it doesn't mean you're going to be defeated. The only way you'll be defeated is if you allow the enemy to defeat you. And we'll talk more about that again in the weekends to come. So let's look at this letter called Ephesians. And in order to appreciate what Paul's saying on the back end of it, let me just quickly give you kind of the whole story of, of uh, the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, Paul basically announces, you have been chosen by God. I have been chosen by God. Then he goes on, he says, we've been chosen by grace through faith. He says, we're sealed with the Spirit. We're brought into unity, this unity not only with Christ, but this unity as fellow believers. The unity of the Spirit draws us all together. We are God's presence on this earth, or that's what we're supposed to be. Then chapters 4 through 6, he says, then what manner of life ought we ought to live? He talks about the importance of being filled with the Spirit, so the Spirit is living His life through us as we yield to His presence. He talks about very practical things like marriage and parenting, and uh, your relationships with other people and how to, how to carry out the presence of Christ and behave uh, like Christ toward each other. And then he does the oh, by the way, which is the passage we just read. And oh, by the way, while you're doing all of that, expect to be bombarded by the enemy. Expect that he's going to take shots against you. That's just the way it is, is what Paul's saying to us. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, when you were talking about spiritual warfare, I can't help but think it's kind of corny, Pastor. I, I can't help but think that it's more of a fantasy than a reality. I mean, it sounds like some of the movies that are out there these days. Well, I would suggest those movies are based on reality, not the other way around. And what I would suggest to you is that we pay close attention to some words that Paul gives us in verse 13. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in what? In the time of evil, or some versions have, in the evil day. Are we living in an evil day? Well, I know that the Ephesians were certainly living in an evil day. Ephesus was a bastion of evil. 
It was kind of the Athens of Asia Minor with a population of about 250,000 people. They worshipped all kinds of gods, especially Artemis or Diana. In fact, one of the seven wonders of the world was there in Ephesus. No longer there anymore. God will always bring down those who bring themselves up before him, whether they're demonic or human. And that's going to happen in this country as it will in every country. Anything that's built up against God, God will eventually tear it down. Read the prophet Daniel. He talks about that. Anyway, back to our passage of Scripture. They also practiced the magic arts. They also uh, uh, practiced uh, worshiping the emperor. There's all kinds of hedonism there. It was a tough place to be a Christian. In fact, Timothy, one of Paul's mentees, uh, was so overwhelmed and anxious there that Paul actually had to write him in First and Second Timothy to calm him down and remind him to keep his eyes focused on Christ and to trust God because God is our safety zone. Christ is our safety zone. See, yeah, but that still sounds so primitive. Well, it may sound primitive to you and me, but it's real. These gods they worship behind these gods of stone and, and wood and metal were, were demons that were actually being worshipped. I remember a few years ago, I was in a particular country in Asia, and they took me to the religious site, and there was this massive, massive idol. That's the closest I've ever been to what I would call an idol like you read about in the Old Testament. And um, there were people gathered around there that day, and they were worshiping this idol. They were bowing down and praying and offering incense and giving sacrifices. And I realized they weren't just bowing down to this, you know, this giant piece of metal or whatever it's made out of. They're, they're bowing down to demons right now. And the priests who were serving that particular God looked like they were crazed as well. I mean, it looked like they were really high on drugs or possessed by demons, probably both. And then we went a little bit further. We came to the street that went by the Ganges River. And this was a day when there were not very many crowds there. Normally, you can hardly find a place to sit or stand. And the young men have made a pilgrimage here, and many are going to have their heads shaved by um, razors that are, that are not clean, I saw so many young men walking around with cuts and bleeding, and I just thought, this is so unhealthy. Then they jump in the Ganges River because that's a holy river to them. And you got people who are filling up two-liter jugs with this water to take home, this polluted water to take home to give their family and friends to have a drink of the holy, which is really unholy water. And you and I look at something like that, and we just think, yeah, it's still primitive. Well, I want to suggest to you that the way we do things, though it may be more sophisticated, is just as primitive that we bow down to as many demons as these folks bow down to, and a lot of us don't even realize it, and a lot of Christians, a lot of us who call ourselves Christians, don't realize it, what we're doing. Let me give you some challenging examples, okay? And I want to say this truthfully, but I want to say it also in a spirit of grace and ask you to hear me out first, okay? But let's just talk for a minute about um, sexuality in our culture today. I mean, what has caused us to move so far away from God's Word I read a statistic today, I was baffled by it, 50%. That's a recent uh, research that was done. 50% of Christians do not oppose casual sex. And you talk about the enemy getting in deep, huh? The, the uh, plague of pornography that our country has spread around the world. And that so many people, young and old, men and women, are consumed by and bow down to it. Maybe not physically, but in acquiescing to it and giving into it, enabling it, we're actually worshiping demons. Or I sometimes think about the Canaanites and the Israelites and how 
you know, they would make child sacrifices, stick the child in the arms of Molech, and the child would scream as it burned down the arms into the belly, which was a furnace in that God who was really a demon. And I just think to myself, you know, are we any better? Look what we do to children in the womb. Look at the whole issue of abortion, the millions and millions of children who are sacrificed in sterile operating rooms. Now, having said that, I want you to know that no matter what sexual sin you've ever wrestled with, and whether you've ever had an abortion or not, I want you to know that God forgives. <clears throat> we serve a God of grace and a God of love. And I want you to know, I, I'm not here to condemn you or judge you. That's not my responsibility. I'm a sinner saved by grace too. I just want you to know that God does forgive. And if you've asked him to forgive you, and you've walked away from these things I'm talking about, then rejoice in the Lord. Thank God he forgives. But we still have to, we still have to own the issue in our culture. And how do you explain it other than to say there's an outside force at work in these areas? Let's take one more. How do we explain our forefathers and foremothers enslaving people because of the color of their skin? How do you explain churches that went along with this? Many faithful congregants who read their Bibles and sang in the choirs and the hymns <clears throat> nonetheless had slaves. How do, you, how do you get around that? That has to be demonically driven. I'm not saying blame the devil for everything. I'm just simply saying, you know, the devil comes along and he just loves to play with our own evil bent. And together, we see the atrocities that take place. So though we may be more sophisticated, we're no different. We are still prone to bow down to false gods, to demons. We need to be really careful who we're giving our focus and we're giving our attention to. And I hope you as parents will have that discussion with your kids or your grandkids and talk about, you know, who do I really worship? Am I in some way bowing down the demon of sexuality, of power, of money? And just be honest with your soul. If you need to repent, tell God, I, I see this area in my life, Lord. I want to give up this high place and replace it with the cross of Christ, your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness, which God brings to us. You know, the enemy, the enemy is ruthless. And there are two ways he tends to work in a culture, in people's lives. The first way is through threats. And you know, Satan has such a hold of some nations and some, some governments. They can easily confront those who are Christians and say, if you don't renounce your faith, you die. And, and they have to make a decision. And I know some of the people who died and I've had many conversations with those who've been persecuted, kicked out of their village, mistreated. They can't trust the police because their only goal is to destroy them. But you know, there are other cultures where the enemy doesn't have that quite, doesn't have quite that authority. He uses something different. He seduces. He comes at us and he says to us, you know, you'll be happy, like you said to Eve and Adam, you'll be happy if you fulfill your own desires, if you are the God of your own life. And all you have to do is, is bow down in this area of your life and, and you can have that. You can know that. You can experience that. It's kind of like these two apples up here. One is a rotten apple. I'm going to guess I would have a very difficult time getting somebody to eat it. I might actually have to threaten you in order to get you to eat this, especially if you saw maggots crawling around it, which there are none right now, okay? It's far easier for me, though, to present you this very nice, red, crisp apple, juicy, sweet, 
If I offer that to you, you'll probably take it. But what you don't know is I injected poison into the core. And the more you eat of it, the more it consumes of you. And that's what the enemy does. And so we really have to be on guard because he works in all kinds of strange and, and, and mysterious ways to pull us away from God and to destroy our lives. I have this little principle I want to share with you. A good sign that you're on God's side is when the devil picks a fight with you, right? That should be an encouragement to you. Say, yeah, but I don't want to deal with having him pick on me. I, I thought a sign that, that, that God was with you is, is when you have peace in your life. Oh, I understand that. I understand having peace in your life. And God does promise us peace in our lives. But listen carefully. The presence of peace does not mean the absence of distress. The promise and the presence of peace doesn't mean I'm never going to have issues in my life. I'm going to have issues. Jesus had peace in his life, and he faced all kinds of issues, didn't he? Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you, <clears throat> my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then in John 16, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus says there's really two kinds of peace. There's the peace that a demonically driven world offers you, and there's the peace that I offer you. Now, the peace that the world offers you will always cost you something. To have what it promises, you've got to pay a price. But the peace that God offers us costs him everything. He gave his son so we could have peace in our hearts and in our lives. So it's just as much a sign that God is at work in your life, that you're on the right side when you have conflict as it is when you're experiencing peace. It is possible to have peace and conflict coexisting in terms of spiritual warfare. Look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he had the conflict when he was tempted in the wilderness. Look at the life of Jesus. He was constantly harassed by his enemies, threatened, beaten, then crucified. Jesus, at the same time, had a peace that the Father loved him. And he was carrying out the Father's purpose. Do we face these conflicts over and over again? There's only one time when it seems that Jesus does not have peace. And I'll talk to you about that when we get ready to celebrate communion in a little while. But let's keep talking a little bit more about this whole idea of um, evil at work in the world and trying to be at work in our lives as well. You know, when a child is born, what do parents want to hear? They want to hear screaming, right? Now, a few years later, they don't want to hear screaming anymore. But when that child is born, you want to hear screaming. Why? Because it means the child is alive. And what that child literally is doing is, or she, is fighting for air, fighting for life. And that fight in our life never goes away. Because we are in this conflict. We are in this battle. Let me give you a subtle example of this. How many of you recently made a commitment to God that you were going to pray more or read the Bible more or you were going to fast more or serve more or give more or love more or forgive more? I mean, I've had those moments, right? Just got really serious to God and I'm going to make all these changes. How long did it last? Are you still there? 
Do you still have that same zeal, that same passion, the same drive like you had when you first became a believer and follower of Christ? If not, what happened? Easy. Spiritual warfare, conflict, temptations, all the things that Jesus faced, you and I face as well. And we need to get in the safety zone of his presence to overcome these things in our lives and destruction that they bring. We've got to get to a place where, where we want God and what he offers more than what the world offers. We've got to get to that place in our life where, where we realize our sinfulness and our desperate need of God's grace. Let me give you a passage of scripture that I've always found peculiar, but I've gained some new insights to it. It's found over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. We'll leave that verse up there a couple minutes for you to read. That verse is kind of hard to understand. What's he talking about? Who are these people that are taking the kingdom of God by force? Well, he's talking about the people who came to listen to John preach and then listen to Jesus. And he's saying they became so aware of their sinfulness. Remember it says that, that Jesus uh, had no problem with friendships with notorious sinners? They attracted the lowlifes, the thieves, the murderers, the tax collectors because they found in him grace and love and forgiveness. So the idea that Jesus is setting up here is this idea that people recognize their need and see what the solution is so badly. It's almost like they're breaking down the walls to get it. You know, sin is a narcotic. Sin depresses. Sin removes that sense of, that sense of urgency. God's Spirit is the opposite. God's Spirit awakens us. God's Spirit makes us aware of what we actually need and who we need. So my question to you and to me, my, myself as well, is am I, are you aware of how much you need the Lord? See, to the degree that I'm aware of how much I need the Lord on, every, on an everyday basis is part of what will give me victory when it comes to spiritual warfare. But if I come lazy in my faith, and I kind of push God off to the corner and decide I can do life in my own strength. Man, you are gone already. The enemy really has you then. And he just slowly consumes us until we finally realize someday that we're not even our own anymore. And I've got a story to tell you about that in a couple weekends when we talk about Oscar Wilde as we continue this series on spiritual warfare. But for right now, I want you to understand this, that when the fight comes, it ultimately belongs to the Lord. When the fight comes, it ultimately belongs to the Lord. God is in control. Like we, like we uh, saw in A Mighty Fortress is Our God last weekend, you know, he alone, Christ alone is the victor. We, we can't make a stand against the enemy. But ultimately, Christ, Christ wins the battle. He's already won the battle on the cross for us. And we've been forgiven. But we have to remember this next point, and that is that the fight may belong to God, but we still have to be in the battle. The battle, in essence, is still ours. Now, why does God want us in the battle? Easy to answer that question. Look what it says in these passages of Scripture. First of all, let's look at what Jesus says. Now I say to you, in Matthew 16, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell not conquer it. 
you hear that? Jesus says, look, I'm going to build up my bulwark, the church. And not even hell is going to stop my church when my people obey me and live holy lives and seek my face. Then the evil one will shudder. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when soldiers stay in the foxhole in the earlier days of warfare, they were relatively safe. But when they stuck their heads out of the foxhole and advanced toward the enemy, that's when the shrapnel started. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and me, don't spend your life in the foxhole. Get out in the battle. Why should we get out in the battle? Well, we might take a hit. We might get hurt. We may die. Well, look what happened to Jesus. Look what happened to most of the apostles. Should you and I think that somehow we're exempt from that? One of my uh, favorite movies that came out a couple of years ago is uh, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a true story about private, private first class um, Doss. And uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist. And private first class Doss felt he still needed to join the army in World War II. And so he signed up and got into training camp and then announced to his superiors that he would not carry a gun. He wanted to be a medic. Well, everybody else was tearing the world apart. He said, maybe I can put together a few lives. Well, it infuriated his battalion. They were very upset about that. Who wants to go into battle with somebody that's not willing to carry a gun and defend his brother? So he was ridiculed. He was beaten. His superiors tried to drum him out, but he managed to stay in. At the age of 26, he and his battalion were in Okinawa, and they had to climb this 400-foot rugged cliff by using cargo nets, hand over hand, foot over fit, foot, guns slung behind them. And on the other side, at the top, there were thousands of Japanese soldiers, well-armed, who were waiting for them. The battle ensued for a long time. Many, many, many casualties. And Doss was running around trying to banish people up and get them morphine and take care of them the best he could, get them sent back down if they were capable of surviving, but eventually the Japanese literally pushed the Americans off Hacksaw Ridge. But Doss, Doss was still on top there. He refused to go down. He knew that there were soldiers who were still alive, who had been wounded. He might be able to save their lives. So he went on this personal mission to, to rescue these soldiers right in front of the Japanese. He rescued 75 soldiers, built a sling, and sent them down. They were in shock and amazement. Who's setting these soldiers down? Private First Class Doss, the man who said he would never raise a gun, kept saying, God, please give me one more man. God, please give me one more man. Eventually, as the Americans began to push and make some progress, he took a grenade in his leg, but instead of going and getting help, he just splintered it himself and kept on trying to help others. And then he was shot in the arm by a sniper and was shattered. 
They, they had to put him on a stretcher to you know, carry him to send him down. But he refused to be carried. He said, look, there are soldiers here that are far worse condition than me. I can limp along, get them in the stretcher. And that's what they did. When the war was over, he was awarded the Purple Heart and the Bronze Star. I've seen a little bit about his personal life, a very humble, simple man. But the point I want you to grab in this is that the only reason he went into the war was to save another life. He didn't want to go into war to kill. He wanted to go into war to save. And that's what God has asked you and me to do. Be willing to face the firestorm of evil. With the attitude, Lord, give me one more person. Give me one more person who I can share Christ with. One more person who I can tell about your grace and your love. That's why Jesus went to the cross, isn't it? He went to the cross. He died my death so I could live his life. And he died for all. So when it comes to spiritual warfare, yep, we're under attack. The battle is relentless. It'll be here as long as we're alive. But the good news is, when we get behind Christ, we find a safety zone. We find a peace even in the midst of the conflict because we know Christ knows what he's doing with our life. And if it costs me my life and that's his will, so be it. So be it. Lord, let me reach just one more life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die for our sins. I thank you that he rose again, seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming back someday. I thank you, Lord, that though the evil one and his hordes of demons are well organized and are constantly working to thwart your work, I thank you that you've already defeated him. You defeated him on the cross when you set us free to be in relationship with you again. Father, help us not to be duped by the evil one. Help us as we learn to wear your armor. Help us to understand what it means to stand firm. And we give you thanks for that. In Christ's name, amen. If you haven't taken your communion elements out yet, please do so. We're going to share it together. I want to remind you that the bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. I cannot be saved. I cannot have fulfill, fulfillment in my life apart from what Christ did for me. I owe him my life because he gave his life for me. I mentioned earlier in the message that there's probably one time when Jesus didn't seem to have peace. And it was the struggle on the cross. When he cried out, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That had never been done before. And yet Jesus endured the loneliness, the bitterness. I don't mean he was bitter, but the bitterness of, of not having his father. He endured all of that so that the father would never turn his back on you and me. He suffered the loss of peace so you and I could always have peace, the peace that passes understanding. So if you have your element, and mine comes as a little package, I'm going to ask you to begin by taking that piece of bread.
<clears throat> and the Bible tells us that the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ who gave himself for you and for me. I'm challenged getting this off. There we go. So if you take this bread, whatever form you have, share it with the people around you, and after I speak the words of the bread, we'll partake together. Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Now if you would take the juice, representing the blood of Jesus, Jesus said, I make a new covenant with you. The covenant is in my blood, because through my blood you have forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for this meal, the bread that represents the body of your son, the cup which represents his life poured out so we might know forgiveness. God, as we go from this place, wherever it might be, our campuses, someone's home, wherever we're meeting together around the world, as we leave where we are, I pray that we would go not feeling defeated, but feeling victorious because we are victorious in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good weekend.